Hello, hello, good evening, and happy Monday. Welcome back to Spinning Around with Hi Minogue, the weekly show on Area 3000 that's airing every single Monday from 5 p.m. I'm your host, Hi Minogue, and wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you for tuning into our airwaves today for more conversations and mixes with dance music's latest and greatest. Listen, everyone. I know that we're having a good time broadcasting the show and dancing to incredible mixes, but let's not forget that we are doing so on the land of its traditional custodians, the Wawandri people. All together now, let's acknowledge and respect their past, present, and ongoing relationship with the land for the many generations to come. So friends, if you have a moment, please consider making a donation to pay the rent or the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and help the wonderful folks that provide the much-needed resources for the mob today. My first guest... This week is a NAM-based music producer, DJ, record label owner, and operator, as well as a genuine music lover. Starting out by crafting remixes of Calvin Harris and Dimitri Vegas and Like Mike in 2013, this man caught the ever-infectious bug of music production and has both released and featured on over a hundred releases since. I am not exaggerating. He has original tracks with several of the underground's most influential labels, like Tool Room, Nervous, Glasgow Underground, Snatch, Under No Illusion, Dub Nation, Melbourne Label Circuit Tracks, and many, many, and seriously, I mean many more. Now with his own labels, Milk Crate and Wasted Music, Nam's Prince of Tech House has provided platforms for other incredible artists with releases and gigs in the city's scene. If that wasn't enough, he's also by far the best resident DJ at Northside favourite Glamorama. Honestly... I could keep going on, but this man has a resume that's about as long as Australian tax legislation, by God. My guest is none other than Daniel Kuda. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Definitely a pleasure to have you here. I'm a fan of yours and have been for uh, quite a while. So, uh, Daniel, before we begin, I have to ask you, why do you insist on only DJing in slides? <laughs> Wow, man, you've really done your research. Um, <laughs> honestly, dude, I just, I don't know. I guess it's just like a, ultimately it's a personal preference of mine. So, I guess it comes down to like how I'm most comfortable. So, whenever I'm mixing at home or like with mates, I'm usually barefoot or wearing slides. So, um, in the club or like at any kind of gig, if I'm ever in a situation where I'm a little agitated because I might be like a little bit too hot <laughs> or there's nowhere to like put my drinks or whatever, I'm like... Like that's it. I've had enough. I'm putting my slides. On. <laughs> <laughs> what are the uh, what are the little things when you mix? Like literally, like what I just described. So like if it's like slightly too hot or if there's no fan, I'm just like that's a good way to cool myself down. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I might be feeling a little nervous, <laughs> or a little awkward. So I'm like, uh, just get get myself in the most comfortable position possible, which is obviously slides. Do you do you have any pet peeves when you mix? Uh, that's a good question. Honestly, not really. Um, I like every once in a while I'll get bugged by people. Yeah. Like I mean I don't know it's a, it's a kind of thing that every DJ has to like deal with every once in a while. But my biggest thing is people come up and just like want to chat or whatever, and I'm I'm always more than happy to. But uh, <laughs> usually people take it as like an open invitation to stand like right next to me. Yeah. Just, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm always just like, dude, like like I need my personal space. It's like take like one step back and then we're all G. So so what you're saying is is that we'll never see Daniel Kuda at a boiler room gig. Is that correct? Oh, I mean like like something like that would be pretty sweet. But you'll you'll notice from time to time at those gigs, like the DJs will have to actually like get the crowd to sort of just like take a step back so uh, I'm t- I don't think I'm the only one but ge- like generally I'm pretty tolerant like I'm pretty happy for like the punters to go about their night and uh, I- I'm a- like a big advocate for like DJs just like 
uh, entertaining the crowd or just like accommodating to the crowd as much as possible. So, yeah, like, you know, whatever, whatever it takes for people to have a good night. What's your favorite set that you've done during your very, very long career? Do you have like a standout one? Honestly, man, not really. I mean, it, like every gig I've played at Glamorama has always been pretty, like, has always been a really good experience. Mm. Um, like their setup's pretty good. Like their equipment's immaculate. Like the way the booth is laid out is pretty comfortable. Um, yeah, like I could never go wrong there. Um, I've had some good like public holiday gigs over the years. Like there have been a couple of good public holidays at Pornico, which have always like been a really enjoyable mm. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, every time we have to play the cage at Revs, <clears throat> that's like hands down. Like it's a little bit intimidating. Like you kind of step. Like, I'm not a resident at Revolver or anything, so for me, it's. Like the first like fifteen twenty minutes feels a little bit like foreign, but mm-hmm. uh, that's always like an amazing experience. Yeah. To be most honest with you, like I think, like my most enjoyable time DJing is um, just at home with my friends. Like in all mm-hmm. honesty, I get to play whatever I want, like like control the mood and take the set wherever I want without having to like conform to like like the crowd in front of me. So mm-hmm. to answer your question, I, like I, I'm happy to play anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> my most enjoyable experiences are just like. When I'm having the most fun. So. You have so many releases now under your belt. And you've got like some amazing bangers that have been picked up overseas by people like uh, Richie Horton and Roger Sanchez. I have to know, after all this experience in production, how long does it actually take you to make a track now? Surely it must take like half an hour and you can pump out a banger. <laughs> no, not, not quite. Uh, that's a good question, man. Like, accumulatively, I probably spend about like four to like seven hours writing a track. Mm. But it, it just depends. Like, that seven hours could come. Like, it could take me a couple of weeks to make up those seven hours. It could take me, like, a couple of days, depending on the type of uh, song that I'm writing as well, whether it's something that has, um, like, a commercial purpose or if it's something that I'm just writing for fun or if it's just me experimenting. So, yeah, it, it varies. But generally, like, four to seven hours and I can knock something out. What's the song that you had the most difficulty writing? And do you like it now that it's out? Uh, that's a good question. I, To be honest with you, I have a lot of difficulty with remixes because I find using stems sometimes a little bit too limiting depending on like, what I receive from the original artist. Like A good example, I'm working on a remix at the moment for uh, a, like a really talented Australian artist Ooh. for an Australian label. And he sent me the, he sent me the stems maybe like two or three months ago. I've just been sitting on them trying to, like, cook up an idea for a decent remix. But, um, like, I, like I've actually been, like, laying down, like, the, the tracks for, for this particular recording over the past, like, two or three weeks. Just, like, sort of mocking up different versions. Yeah. Trying to, like, record different bass lines and stuff like that. But yeah. R- remixes in general. I'm, like, typically, I'm pretty happy with everything I've put out because it, it, everything contributes to, like, the musical journey. But Can I... T- can I take a stab at this? Is it Young Franco? <laughs> no, no, it's not Young Franco. Uh. Uh, honestly, I, 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 I wish I could actually like like tell you. Like, oh man! Like I, I'm sure you know what it's like with like artists and what information they're able to like divulge publicly before like stuff's like announced. But yeah, like typically I'm like an open book with this sort of thing. If we didn't have the mics recording, I'd be happy to. Do, like- do you think that's all bullshit though? Like you know, being so secretive about all this stuff. Or do you think it makes sense? Like, there's an actual reason for it. Like, y- yes and no. I think the reason why a lot of people withhold information is either because, like, they may be contractually obligated not to mm. or it could just be because, like, 
like the way this this industry works, it's so like volatile that like like you could go ahead and announce something publicly today, and then tomorrow like someone's like pulled the rug from underneath you, and everything's gone, and you just look like a fool because you've announced something that's never gonna never gonna happen. So that like that that's kind of why I don't want to like like announce something and then it never eventuates for whatever reason so can i ask you uh what's your weapon of choice is it uh ableton logic uh maybe even fruity loops yeah man so i actually do all my writing in fruity loops oh like i do the majority of my writing in fruity loops an og fruity loops user hell yeah, yeah. man yeah oh, i do like man i'm so into fruity loops it's not even funny but um <laughs> i do a lot of writing in, i do a lot of writing in logic as well just because i'm a big fan of the mac operating system every time i kind of get like every time i stumble on a track or if I hit like writer's block, I'll just like jump over to a different DAW, which requires a totally different approach, like workflow. Wow. And, like usually that'll kind of like get me out of my funk. Wow. That's, that's cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Like a lot of my better records, I think have actually been written in, um, or not better, but a lot of my more successful records have been written in logic. Funnily enough, like, um, no one, which came out last year on circuit tracks was in logic. And I probably wrote that in like two or three hours. Oh, that is an absolute banger, by the way. I fucking love that. Track. <laughs> oh, cheers, dude. I appreciate it. No one does it. No one does it. No one does it. No one does it. Where'd you find that sample? That that's an incredible sample that you got. The vocal sample is literally just like from a sample pack. <laughs> like I, ta- yeah, I taxed this thing off Splice, and I was just like, I didn't want to use the exact sample exactly how it was, so I think I just like transposed it a couple of like a couple of semitones down or something, but. Yeah, basically just from a sample pack, just like really light processing. Nice, nice, man. <laughs> it's really cool knowing uh, the process behind a lot of your production, considering the fact that I uh, really enjoy what you make. I do want to ask you though, I'm a relatively sort of young producer uh, myself. And so I want to ask you, um, as someone who uh, has gone through the hoops, uh, what are the three things that you wish you knew when you first started producing music? Yeah, okay, that's a really good question. I Honestly, I think about this all the time today still. So I think the biggest thing is maybe like hold off releasing anything publicly too early. Mm. Um, I think with the exception being maybe like SoundCloud and Bandcamp because you can always just like pull that down and you've got full control. Um, I think it's pretty good to like road test whatever you're working on or something you may be like dead set about in like the early stages of your like writing journey you may not be as enthusiastic about later on mm. so yeah I, I think like h- holding off like committing to something that's going to be permanent until you're like absolutely sure that you want to like you're absolutely confident that what you're releasing could potentially be uh publicly available for the rest of your life mm. that's probably that's like one thing that i like that's advice like i kind of give out every every so often to people who like ask me that this kind of question nice um the other th- like another big thing that i like i still remind myself like every day i'm writing basically is just to try and not conform to what other people are doing yeah which is like it's so hard like writing writing like like club music because like everybody writes within like particular boundaries depending on like what genre they're writing and like who their target audience is and stuff like that. But uh, I think once you kind of get into the habit of like recycling the same sample packs as everybody else and um, like writing and following the same routine, although that can be like fantastic and like a really good way to like get ideas down and like write really productively, 
you kind of fall into the trap of um, not finding your own like unique sound. Yeah, which I think is like it's it's so important as an artist. Like and like when you go go through and write, like even like the simplest elements, like a like a hi hat groove or like I don't know, like like a jack and snare rhythm. Yeah, like when you go through and do that manually, you kind of like whether intentionally or not, even though everything's kind of like aligned to your DAW's grid, it's still going to come off like rel- like even just slightly unique because mm. the way you might like EQ that snare or those hats may just be slightly different to how someone else has done it. And o- over time, like that, like throughout a, a, an entire track, all those like little like nuances will compound into something that is totally different to what somebody else is writing. So I suppose the hard part with that is like making sure even if you are doing something unique compared to, you know, what your stock loops or sample packs might be, um, to be able to actually make sure that what you're doing still has a listenable audio quality, especially when you're starting out and you don't really know what the hell you're doing when you're EQing something, uh, which is my situation most of the time. So, for example, like, uh, uh, not to harp on about myself, but just as an example, <laughs> um, when I released uh, Riley, uh, which was my first debut track, I was very proud of it until I tried to mix it in an actual set. And then I found out that the whole thing is actually entirely unmixable uh, because <laughs> of how badly I've actually produced it. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. I'm surprised. Honestly, I'm surprised you've had that experience because uh, there are a couple of your tunes I'm like really fond of, like Riley being one of them. And I've actually been able to mix them. Never in a club. Thank you so much. I, like, Thank was, you. I, I don't think I'd have the balls to actually play that in a club. It's like the sample's so like <laughs> confronting. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like, I, 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 I played it at home and like I played it at like a kick-ons and stuff like that. People generally get a pretty good, repu- like, pretty good reception. <laughs> it's, it's purely so. the shock value. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, and actually this kind of leads me to like the like my third point of like like advice I give to like people starting out is that I think like regardless of how like what level your production is at, if your idea is a sound, that's going to come through more than, or, or th- that will be more meaningful than the quality. Yeah. Like somebody's like, like actual production ability in terms of like, uh, their sound design and their mixing and mastering. Or, or I mean, not that I, to honest, I couldn't really name many artists that write and mix and master everything. Like, you know, every single one of their records. So do you mix and master everything? I don't, I don't master my own records. No way. Um, Oh yeah, I wouldn't even dare to. Uh, like I kind of, I used to when I was like starting out. I used to like do real amateur masters for a lot of my friends and stuff. But uh, yeah, I like I did not continue, uh, did not keep that up. Uh, I so yeah, during the writing process, I kind of like half mix my records, or, or like, or as I'm as I'm writing, I kind of know roughly what frequencies I need to remove, and I like I understand like removing like resonant frequencies from like certain sounds and just trying to keep like a pretty good balance and like not having anything like too far in the stereo field and stuff like that. So I do like a decent job, but every once in a while I'll, I'll be so done with a record <laughs> and I know the mix isn't at, is like average and I just cannot be bothered going through listening, spending another like three hours listening to it. So I'll just like send it to someone to take care of. But um honestly, yeah, it, like I think, like in order to have your records mixed by like an engineer and to be like truly satisfied, I think it takes a few goes. Like you need to spend some time finding the right kind of engineer who understands your sound and the direction you want to take your music. 
And you kind of need to build up a little bit of a relationship so when you hand over a record, they know where to go with it and they're not like, it's not like a stab in the dark for them because although like mixing is like such a technical uh, aspect of the whole of the whole process, the, like you still have to make some creative decisions yeah. like, during the, like, that whole mix down part. So, yeah, it's one of those things that it takes time and so, some engineers will mix in a really transparent way. Some will mix and try to like um, emphasize certain elements, and a lot a lot of the time, there's you're gonna like the writer and then the mix engineer. They may not have the same ideas, like sort of going in, and like some engineers are really tight with their time; they're not willing to go back and make like multiple revisions. So mm. yeah, it's honestly in my experience, there have maybe only been like one or two instances where I've had. My records mixed by other people and I've been really happy. Wow, only one or two. A lot of the time I just mix my own stuff. Do you have like a go-to mastering person or maybe like a, a team of go-tos or do you want to keep that private so no one else uses them? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. I don't really have a go-to personally. A lot of the time I let the label take care of it because like to be totally honest with you, like it's expensive. <laughs> like if you're writing like tw- if, you're, if you're writing 20 records, like 20 songs a year, like the cost of mastering, like yeah. you can find there. There are some people who are really affordable and do like a really good job. Uh, like Rob Small is an example, and he, he does a lot of stuff for me. Shout out Rob Small! Like, like he's fantastic. He's almost like the industry standard. He, yeah, he he does so many people in the industry. It's like if you actually like if he compiled like a total client list, you'd be amazed at like some of the artists that are on there. Damn. Yeah, I mean he's he's pretty versatile as well, which is good. Uh, locally, there are two engineers that I'm really fond of. Uh, Klaus Hill is one of them. He's he does a lot of like he basically takes care of most of the local uh, labels and artists, or at least the ones that I'm in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also Nick at uh, Panorama, Ooh. who was basically the first engineer that I like, I went to, and like he does such a great job. Every time a label approaches me, or every time I'm sort of like in the process of like finalizing a release with a label, and they ask me. Who I want to master, like who, like an engineer that, um, I, I'd have in mind as like a go-to. I, I always like he's like the first one I always go to. But wow. Whether or not the labels actually use him, like I'm not sure. I, I don't think they do because his his sound is pretty recognizable and yeah, he's he's great. I highly recommend Nick to to anybody. So for all for all you budding producers out there, if you're looking for someone that is going to give you that uh Daniel Kuda quality. Please hit up Nick from Panorama, please. <laughs> Dan, I want to step away from music for just a second. And I want to talk to you because I know that you live a double life as an accountant. Yeah, man. Be honest here. Do you really love crunching numbers or is it just a job for you? Oh, dude. What's the deal? Oh, man. Accounting is my passion. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like, yeah, I, I love being an accountant. Um, that, I mean, part of the reason I started the label is because- it is originally when I started like my first record label. It was an opportunity for me to combine like my love for music um, and my love for just like my all my my interest in like business and um, a way for me to like apply the skills that um, you learn in like one area of your life, like like whether it's like school or work or whatever. Um, to, yeah, like it was just a way for me to just, like combine my interests. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. Just to. Keep it simple. Do you pay all your taxes, Daniel? Do you pay all your taxes? Yeah, well, so that, that's what I do. So, like, I work. The area of accounting I work in is is like business services. So, like, taxes is a big part of what I do. So Whoa! It would be like totally hypocritical if I'm like giving tax advice and 
like logic tax returns of people and then like <laughs> neglecting my own tax liabilities. So. Yeah, very fair, very fair. I also know, by the way, that you love sports. Uh, apparently, you're a kick-ass tennis player <laughs> and also a die-hard Inter Milan fan. Man, you really, you really, you really dug deep. I cannot believe this. <laughs> yeah, I still play tennis as often as I can. I've been like harboring a shoulder injury. For the past, like, maybe five or six years, but probably since I was in high school. So, I haven't really been able to take it as, uh, or, or I haven't really been able to be as competitive as I'd like to be, but I still play almost every week. I've just played in, like, a social team with, like, uh, my uncle and, like, and his mates. Nice, so, nice. It's fantastic. Like, I get to I get to run about with a bunch of, like, middle-aged blokes. And, um, <laughs> and be the best know, athlete there. And shoot the shit, so... <laughs> Yeah, but we don't play in a very we don't play a very high grade, which is like fantastic for B. It gives me the opportunity to still like show what I've got, but it's not too it's not too taxing on my body. How's so. the pain of being an Inter Milan fan? What's that? Oh like? man, the past ten years have been brutal. Like, <laughs> like basically, like 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 post treble, like the team just fell apart. But like things are, things are looking up. Like Inter's won the Scudetto now, mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I couldn't be happier with the direction the team's going in. I was really skeptical of like the current coach at the start of the seasons because I definitely expected more um, last season. But yeah, like he's, he's definitely. I, I mean, I wouldn't say like defied the odds because Inter were primed to do well this this year. But yeah, overall, like, I'm wrapped. I first heard of you through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Josh, yeah, aka Josh Musket. Yeah. Love him to bits. Incredible designer. He's worked on some designs for you. Lovely, lovely dude. Unreal, man. He's a bill. And he's also been helping you out with your own label called Milk Crate. So, Josh, uh, one of my good mates, Chris, and myself, uh, we run Milk Crate together. Oh, wow. So, nice. Yeah, jo- Josh, is, jo- Josh is almost like the heart and soul of Milk Crate, in all honesty. Like, wow. Like, all the Milk Crate branding, like- all, everything visual, like that—that's Josh's creative mind at work. So yeah, he's great. He's so. How, great. how did uh, how did Milk Crate actually start? Like, uh, how, what was the what was the moment that sort of brought it all together? And how's it all been going since then? Uh, I mean, I, I guess the idea for Milk Crate was maybe born like uh, I'd say around four years ago, and it took a year of just like planning and um, just like thinking through like the direction that we wanted to go in. Uh, we, yeah, we spent about 12 months just like sort of planning and developing like the branding and the, the sound, the, like the general sound that we wanted for the label. And then literally like 12 months of that, we had our first release in, yeah, August 20, August 2017. And that was like a Matt Sassari EP, which was unreal for us. Basically, the reason for the label was just at the time, it, it didn't seem like there were any labels in Melbourne releasing exactly the kind of stuff that we were doing. Uh, and it was a sound that we're all pretty passionate about. So it just seemed like a no brainer. Plus it gave like me and a lot of my, um, like producer friends and outlet to release music as well. So yeah, like it's something that myself and myself, Josh and Chris are all really like passionate about. We're con- continuing to move forward and progress. And we've got a lot of big plans for the label over the next like 12 to 18 months. So. Ooh. Yeah, lots of exciting stuff on the way. Ooh, that's <laughs> what I like to hear. Hell yeah. Speaking of milk and cream, I heard that you uh, absolutely love Gelato Messina. Oh, God. <laughs> gelato is like my- Like, that's like my number one priority in life, in all honesty. Like, a lot of people are going to be disappointed to hear that. What's your, what's your go-to flavor? It's tough because every time I go to Messina, I'll get like one of the specials. Oh, wow. Uh, like, I- my, go- my go-to like 
I guess generic flavor, like besides chocolate, is maybe like cookies and cream. Nice, nice. Like with with Messina, they've had so many like incredible specials over the past. Like I, I couldn't even tell you how many years I've been going. Like basically, <laughs> like since I since I heard of it, like Honey, Honey I Burnt the Kids is is a favorite ooh, of mine. Oh um, yes. What else? They do another one called Montgomery's Gold. That's fantastic. It's oh, like a damn. dark chocolate and like honeycomb kind of thing. Yes. They had a really good. They've got a really good flavor there this week. It's probably going to be gone by the time people listen to this. It it's called like Lost in Japan. What was it? What's it got in it? It's like it's a matcha flavored gelato. So it's it's matcha flavored gelato with like white chocolate. I think it's got some sort of like strawberry or like strawberry syrup or something Ooh. and waffle cone pieces. It's so Man, good. That sounds nice. Yeah. Like they're big on like their, their dulce de leche as well. Like I think they produce that themselves. So a lot of their ingredients are just, yeah, everything's pretty high quality. You can't go wrong. I'm not going to lie to you. You, you were much more passionate about this than I was expecting. And I love <laughs> it. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you got no idea. Like, there's some weeks I'll, I'll get I'll get a Messina, like, or like a gelato, like, like three, four times at least. <laughs> like, I could have it every day. Josh has also told me that you guys went and experienced a sensory deprivation tank recently. Oh, right on. Yeah, that was really cool. That's something I was looking forward to doing for ages. Um, and the experience was interesting. It was definitely not what I was expecting. I, I don't know. It's It's a lot more difficult to, like... I guess mentally like switch off or zone out in the middle of the day as you you like anticipate like lead, leading up to the experience. What's that? I don't know, man. Like Josh and I went at like two thirty in the afternoon or something, and like to be totally honest, yeah, I'd maybe woken up like two hours before we we went. Oh so, right. And like I was like we went on a Saturday. I'm usually pretty na- like I'm so napper like come Friday night <laughs> that I just like I like I get like ten or eleven hours sleep like. Friday going into Saturday, so, wow. I'm for, so I'm prepared for like my weekend antics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so usually, but when I wake up Saturday morning, I'm like, I'm just like so sleepy that I need like three or four cups of coffee just to get going. <laughs> you climb into you climb into this thing after like four cups of coffee, it's so hard to switch off. But yeah, no, it was fantastic. Overall, the experience was so good. Would you would you recommend it maybe after? A big night out, maybe you're hungover and you just need some peace and quiet. Would that would that be a suitable environment? For I, it? I I think so. I think that would be. Um, I think that would definitely. Uh, it, it would definitely like make that hangover situation a lot more like tolerable. I think. Uh, like the, I don't think the intended purpose of a sensory deprivation tank is to be like a hangover cure. Mm. I think it's mm. more just like like relaxation and meditation so i i think if if you're the kind of person who practices like meditation or mindfulness uh and and you're you're like you've you've practiced like like re- relaxing your, your mind and your body and uh with the, you know those kinds of activities then I, I i think like sensory deprivation is probably like the next step do you sort of see yourself as it just like sort of like a self-evaluation thing here do you sort of see yourself as more like a a chill person or someone who's ordinarily kind of highly strung like what's your sort of personality type there? uh honestly i think i occupy like both ends of this spectrum like i'm like i'm so extreme on both ends that like i kind of like 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 both sides of my personality kind of meet in the middle right like i, I could be so highly strung and like really anal or like about certain things and really particular about like organization and preparation. But then at the same time, like I'm going to be so lazy and so chill, <laughs> just like not bothered by anything that like, 
Yeah, I, like it, it just—it depends on when you get me. It depends how much sleep I've had. What, what, what would your <laughs> What would your partner describe you as? Uh, chill or highly strong? Uh, I, I I think Steph would describe me as highly strong, <laughs> but she kind of like she kind of gets me at my worst. <laughs> whereas like I'm not not that like not that not that my worst is that bad, but like like well, when, when she sees me behind closed doors, she like she's experienced my like. My frantic, like, panicking because, yeah. I don't know, my shoes are out of order or whatever. <laughs> do you do you find that maybe – because I know that you, obviously you were saying that uh, there are times where you'll be working so long on a track when, you you know, maybe it's a remix or uh, an original production, but you've just been working on it so long that after a while you just say, fuck it, I don't want to mix this, and then you throw it over to somebody else. What's the tipping point for you when you sort of – just say, hey, you know what? I've been working on this for way too long. I am getting annoyed by this or like I just don't like how it sounds anymore. Uh, I'm just going to throw it over to someone else. And also, do you feel comfortable releasing something that when you listen to it, you don't feel happy about it anymore? To answer the second part of your question, I have before, but I think it's important to try and have a more like objective approach to the way you listen to something once it's finished Mm. like it's so difficult for like i I think any type of artist to to like to listen or to like observe something that they've created like knowing everything that's gone into it and every little detail and nuance and not truly be able to like appreciate it from like an outsider's perspective i've I've done it before where i've released music where i haven't been totally happy because like honestly like the smallest things like the clap might be a little bit too loud or be like whatever, there might not be enough like of a delay on like a vocal or something. Uh, I I think I can't. I came across a quote a little while ago. I can't remember who who said it or who wrote it, but uh, yeah, I can't remember it like verbatim either. But like the gist was basically just like like a piece of art is never truly finished. It's basically just abandoned. Mm. And, and that, I guess that's something that I guess that's kind of just an interesting thought that comes to mind from time to time. Whereas like you get to a point where you've taken something so far. And, like, the end user or the, the end consumer, like, they're not going to be able to, like, identify these, like, subtle changes that you're, uh, that you're, like, stressing, that you're losing sleep over. So, yeah, it, it, it's just one of those things where, like, I think when you get to a certain point where you're, like, not totally, like, ashamed of something. Oh, that's probably the wrong word. But, like, if you get to a point where you wouldn't be embarrassed by what you're releasing, like, a couple of years down the track, then yeah, it, like putting it out may not it may not be the worst decision. What percentage of your releases are you still happy with to this day, and what percentage are you not? Uh, I mean, I think there are a lot that I'm not happy with because uh, it's a sound that I uh, am no longer passionate about. Yeah, I think everything that I've released over the years that is like still like somewhat aligns with the music that I'm writing today. Uh, like regardless of how I feel about the production quality or, or maybe some of the ideas, it's all, it's all part of the musical journey. So something that a lot of artists can be a little bit ashamed of is like their, their origin or, yeah, or their journey. Yeah. And you see it a lot with so many, like you so many, like you see it with a lot of professional artists that like hit the scene and that are like backed by a big label and like they've just like exploded with like one like like massive single on like a huge label that's being like pushed by the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of amateurs or a lot of people that are like just starting out don't understand that um, there's a there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes which can like contribute to that. Yeah, and like there there are so many examples of like artists that you can point to who have like been around or that have been contributing to stuff for such a long time, but like they they may rebrand for a particular purpose or 
um, like they may they may have like a, a really good opportunity and they, they may be really passionate about what they're doing yeah, and yeah. like they just have like a solid crack. But it's like 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 somebody like like do you know the artist Root uh, Root ninety four? Yes, I do. Yeah, he yeah, had, yeah, he yeah, had a song yeah. called My Love. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like twenty thirteen. So like Rowan has been writing records for like he'd been writing records for years before that, and like even though that had come out when he was like like 18 I don't know it came out when he was like really young maybe like 20 years old or something he had been writing and releasing like records like in other genres since he was like maybe like 13 or 14 so he already had like 7 years of experience and like so much like industry support before he like rebranded as Route 94 and like hit the scene with that like with that like monster like pop dance hit do you ever see yourself stepping outside of Tech House? yeah I mean I, I write like I try to write basically whatever genre i'm like feeling mm. uh it's such like a cliche like i think i think a lot of like music producers or a lot of like bedroom producers uh just write whatever sound they're kind of interested in or whatever yeah yeah uh, yeah what, whatever may like tickle their fancy at a particular point in time like uh, yeah I, I write so many different genres in my spare time but in terms of like what i release yeah i think I, I, I guess it kind of it, it also aligns with like finding a signature sound in order to like not confuse an audience and in order to like truly create something that people can like identify as like a sound that people can identify with a particular artist it takes a little bit of uh consistency so yeah I, like yeah i think it would be a, a really difficult for people to identify a song from a particular artist if they're writing across like a, a variety of different genres but I mean, there are exceptions to that. You see it all the time. Yeah, but that's true. It, yeah, you just got to consider ha- how they're able to do that. So, like an artist like Scream, for example, who's like one of my all-time favorites. Like even like today, he releases like so much music, mm-hmm. so many different genres, like all under his name. But I guess it just comes back to like his reputation and um, like like his branding. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like he takes anything too seriously. Like all these like all these um PR stuff. It's like it, it isn't he's not like stony face, like hyper serious. He's just like he seems like a down to earth bloke, just like really passionate about what he does. So I, I th- yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's so difficult to answer. And it's one of those things that like I haven't perfected. And I I couldn't name a single artist that has perfected that area of, of their craft. So Dan, I I would love to get real with you here for a second. And I was wondering if you might be able to indulge me for a minute. Let's do it. So, in Melbourne, I think that the tech house scene is home to some of the best DJs in the city. Like you, like uh, Eli Berry, uh, Luke Vicio, Joey Coco. Shout out, Joey. Um, hope you're doing well. Oh, man. Joey's a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to the audience if I didn't ask you, what is your opinion on the culture of your scene, specifically the people that come to them. I think that there is a bit of a divide between the north side, which is known for generally like sort of, what's the word, maybe darker, progressive, acidic uh, sounds. And then the south side, which is better known for the abundance of tech house, um, party clubs, uh, the the pran sort of strip, um, I suppose, of clubs there, Mm. um, and St. Kilda perhaps as well. With that musical divide, what I found comes a difference in crowd 
and the difference has caused a bit of tension across the board. I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I'm speaking from the perspective of the North side because I don't know what the South side is like. It's caused a bit of tension across the board, especially in regards to things like uh, bro culture, toxic masculinity, and sexual harassment, to name some issues there. To clarify, I know that many of the people that frequent Northside clubs are reluctant to visit the South and perhaps vice versa as well. I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the question. And it, it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about myself because, like, to be totally honest with you, I don't really know where I sit on the whole, like, north side, south side divide. Although, like, important issues that you touched on were, the, um, like, the issue of, like, sexual harassment in venues and the way, like, electronic music culture at times, it can kind of like sweep that kind of behavior under the rug. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that, that's something that I'm not totally for. I mean, like, it's something that I'm like completely against, actually. So, like, something that I kind of, pri- something that I kind of pride myself on and something that I think a, lo- a lot of people, uh, something that I think everybody should uh, practice a little bit more is just like accountability for their own actions. Mm. Yeah. If, if people were just more accountable for their own actions and just considered, the way their behavior affected the people around them. I think we'd have just more tolerant and um, just like safer dance floors yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and nightclubs. So, th- you could you could have such a detailed, like high-level discussion yeah. on the matter. <laughs> but there are probably people with uh, experiences that um, hit closer to home who would be more ed- educated on, on the topic. Mm, so, mm. yeah, it, it's just one of those things. Like, I, it's, it's, so, it's so hard for somebody like me to- present an opinion where when I haven't had a negative experience myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of those things that like crosses my mind a lot though. So, I, I, I think just like gen- like generally speaking, like tolerance is something that uh, I, I think everybody, like every single person that enters a nightclub should be practicing. So, I, I know that you said that you're sort of against the north side, south side divide, but- I would like to ask you, um, this is more of a lighthearted question, but thank you so much for, um, you know, indulging me on that question. I do appreciate it. Uh, where do you prefer playing, north or south? Do you notice a difference? Oh, well, I live in the north myself. So, north is much closer to home. Like, Uber's are a lot cheaper. Uh, I think you do notice a difference depending on the type of venue that you're playing in. I don't think it's totally, like, specific to, like, what area of Melbourne you're playing in. Uh, like, like there are, there are venues on the south side that are like super accommodating to more, like a more underground sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, there are venues in the south that are like typically like known for like a more like, commercially accepting or just like, like just like a, a broader, a, a broader sound, yeah, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite Southside venues is Killing Time. Ooh. And I've only actually had the opportunity to play there once, but it's fantastic. And, like, the the people that run the venue, I, I mean, I'm not too sure. I don't know a lot about, like, what goes on behind the scenes there. But a lot of the parties I've been to and, like, the parties that I've, like, the party that I've played at, the promoters and the crowd are all just, like, very accepting of, like, a broad sound. Yeah, yeah, And you, yeah. you can get away with playing stuff that's a little bit more underground or a little bit more, like, minimal or like deep or dubby but then at the same time if you whipped out like a really big like a well-known house track it, it would it would go down just as well so yeah K- killing time is a fantastic venue i i think like 
I mean, I'm a little biased because it's it, like it's probably like my favorite venue in Melbourne. Like Glamorama, I think caters to both audiences really well, and that, that's why I'm such a big fan of it. Mm, like, yeah, I agree. All, all the best, like some of my favorite musical experiences, um, like that have been in like nightclubs that have all like basically been at Glamorama. Yeah, yeah. There are a couple of other venues that um, are like comparable. Revolver being one of them, uh, particularly for like the late show on a Saturday. But like before COVID, when they had like international DJs like touring there and playing their Saturday night shows like like that that was incredible like some of some of the DJs that you could see there and like some of the tunes that they were pulling out were just like mind-blowing but yeah like we don't really have besides like Glamorama and like I, I guess there are exceptions like there, there are definitely other venues and other parties that go on in the north side that uh like that are comparable but mm. I, I, I think it basically, it, I think it, 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 it will vary like from venue to venue. Uh, I'm going to bring uh, Daniel out of the uh, tough spot here that he's found himself in. And because I've completely gunned him with a loaded question, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but uh, there is no preference here. North side is not necessarily better than the south side and vice versa. <laughs> it's, all, it's all love under one roof. I mean, if, if Ubers were cheaper, <laughs> if Ubers were cheaper, it wouldn't be an issue at all. Or if Ubers were free, it wouldn't be an issue at all. But- <laughs> Um, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, sp- uh, when you were talking about Groovy and Driving, I was uh, just thinking about this new unreleased track that you teased on your Instagram. Holy fuck, that is nice, man. Uh, when's that coming out? What's the details? Uh, good question. I should actually know because that's coming out on one of my labels. It's coming out on Wasted Music. <laughs> you, just, you just don't I, care I, anymore. I can't remember the release date. I'm pretty sure it's in the June. I think it might be on the 26th of June or something. But so that one, there's a remix for an Argentinian artist. Like his name's Juan, like so he's he's DJ. His artist name is like Juan, and then in brackets like AR. Right. Um. It's a collab between the original is a collab between him and another artist, uh, Del Fonda. Me and my partners, uh, Vax and Jovan, we signed an EP from them at the start of the year, and I, like I was just blown away by, I was blown away by the lead track. So I was just like, man, I had to jump on and do a remix. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that. It should be out like end of June, but yeah, like that's finished, that's locked in, and like because it's on my own label, like I, I could talk about it. Thank you so much for <laughs> um, you know, g- giving it to us uh, today as the preview, as that was the um, opening track of our show today. Thank you so much for that. I do appreciate it. It is so nice, man, Dan. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you tonight, and I am so excited to put on your beautiful mix that you've made exclusively for us here at Area 3000. I know that this is indeed a vinyl-only set, so you definitely get extra points for that. Can you can you tell us uh, some of the records that you've got lined up for us? Uh, honestly, <laughs> if I knew what they were called, I could tell you. <laughs> um, well, yeah, like the thing is, like a, a lot of the, a lot of the vinyl, like, a lot of the vinyl-only stuff that I included, it's all just like like limited press white labels right. that I picked up on like Red Eye or like on. DJ, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, I don't actually know the names of a lot of the, a lot of the songs <laughs> I played. I think there's they might, yeah. I, I, I honestly, I couldn't even tell you. That makes it that makes it way cooler. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Like the thing is, I don't know. If, uh, I mean, it's difficult for people who are listening to the recording to know, but like you can see because you can see me. Like, look, so I've got like the, like a Calyx behind me, like you know, like the the IKEA. Oh uh, yeah. The so basically, yeah. All of the records that are kind of like like that side, the side that I'm pointing on in the top. They're all just like white labels. Oh wow! And like that—that's where 
yeah, that's where I pull all the tracks from. Wow. So, yeah, honestly, I don't know. That's cool. I like. I'd be able to. Wor- I'd be able to work it out, but I'd have to like go through and just like, like I'd have to <laughs> listen to the mix again and just like write down what the records are, and then I'd have to go through my like emails and find the actual track names. So, <laughs> well, then what about uh? Tell me your favorite tracks to mix at clubs are right now. Like the ones where you put them on and you're just like. Fuck, I'm having such a good time. And everybody else is. Yeah, well. I mean, like, when I play my own music and the crowd responds well, that's always, like, such a satisfying feeling. Yes. Like, that's always the best. Yes. But, like, there, there are some artists that are go-tos. And every time I play one of their songs, like, regardless of, like, I haven't had an experience where the crowd hasn't enjoyed what, like, like their, like the records of artists that I like as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, for me as well, it's, like, it's so satisfying to, like, be able to play music by artists that I'm really digging and- like have the, like the room also like respond well. Like one of my favorite artists at the moment is Jansons. I don't know if you're familiar with his stuff, man. He's such a good producer. Actually, I th- I can't remember if I included one of his records in there or not. Like him and R- Richie Ahmed, they've got a uh, a white like they've got like a vinyl only collaboration going called Love Hurts. Mm. Uh, and like every every Love Hurts they put out has just been so good. Okay, like, ten out of ten records. If you can if you can still buy their I think they just did a repress of all of what they've already like, originally released. Uh, and that, that was on their band camp, like, probably about six months ago. So, I don't know if anything's still available, but if it- Like, I went and bought, like, doubles of everything. So, if that's still available, I, I recommend everybody going through and buying because- I Like, I buy the doubles so I have something to play and then something, like, as a backup in case I, like, accidentally scratch a record or something when I'm out. So I know that, obviously, uh, no one is probably one of your- uh, bigger tracks or more, more popular tracks at the moment. Do you remember dropping it for the first time and everybody digging it? And just just tell me what that felt like because uh, that must feel like ecstasy. Oh, that, like that was actually such an incredible feeling. Like every time I play one of my own records for the first time, I'm always so nervous about like how it's going to sound on like a big sound system and whether people are going to um, be as into it as I am. And I, every time I play my own records, I try to like get up and about behind the booth so people can kind of see that, like, like it's a way of, like, engaging the crowd, I guess, so they don't, like, leave. <laughs> they don't leave the dance floor. But, yeah, when, when I played that, I was I was so nervous because of how, like, stripped back it is. Um, and, yeah, like, s- s- seeing, like, a positive reaction was, like, it, honestly, it meant the world to me at the time. So, mm. yeah, that, that was great. Hell, yeah. And a- every time I, like, um, have a similar experience with, like, unreleased music that i play it's it's like it's 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 the most validating feeling in the world for like for an artist i think you've played a lot at glam and revs can i ask as someone that has been djing um those places well has dj'd those places what's the weirdest thing that you've seen uh at a gig that you were playing in my experience (laughs) i found that all the weirdest behavior comes from the youngest people Mm. so i've played a couple of Every time I've played at a, uh, um, I've played to like a really young crowd, like a uni crowd or something. Like these kids just like pull like the craziest stunts or like they just come, come at me with like the strangest. Uh, like, it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, like a lot of it I've kind of like repressed, but like at one of my most recent, or my more recent gigs to like a younger crowd, I've had like, vapes thrown at me and stuff which what? i haven't even been mad about because i end up getting i end up getting like free vapes out of it so <laughs> i'm probably the most weird person in the venue what <laughs> really why is that so, why is that what, what why do you think you're so weird what's the what makes you weird? i think so, like at times people were probably like a little taken aback by my like footwear my footwear choices so 
Like that, that, that's one thing that a lot of people. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't understand the obsession with my like, like why people are so interested in <laughs> in the slides. But I, I just, I think just generally, I'm I'm so clumsy, and I th- I think my clumsy and my like shyness combine into just like real awkward interactions with a lot of people. So uh, I see. Yeah, I th- honestly, I, I think the weirdest person in the club is probably me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent, excellent. Hey, I'm. Very excited to spin this mix right here and spinning around right now. Dan, thank you so much again for being part of the show. It's actually been such a pleasure to meet you finally after, you know, obviously hearing about you through Joshi uh, for so, so long. I hope you've had a good time. Yeah, of course, man. I've um, I've been looking forward to uh, sitting here and having a chat. Like, we've kind of, we've known, like, of each other for so long. So, it's mm. finally good to just, like... You know, have some one-on-one time. Yeah. So, yeah, we definitely need to do this again. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love to actually go get some gelato with you for sure. Um, look, for the folks out there at home, don't forget to stay tuned after this set for an interview and mix with Nam favorite house mum coming in right here at 7 p.m. AEST as well. You don't want to miss it. Tonight, you're going to be listening to Spinning Around with Hailey Minogue on Area 3000 playing Daniel Kuda right now. <laughs> 